Hey, this is Melissa, creator and founder of Femtrepreneur, and you're listening to Fem Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Fem Radio podcast wherever podcasts are found so that you can be notified when each episode goes live. Simran Kapoor is the founder and CEO of Kind, a new health tech company designed to empower families to be our own best health advocates. She is starting by helping parents build their child's health history from birth so that they can securely and selectively share care information with any caregivers when and where needed. Simran spent her entire life singularly dedicated to this cause, from studying public health at UC Berkeley to teaching special education to children with various disabilities in the country's most impoverished communities. She never shied away from a challenge and was determined to understand how the ecosystem around a child comes together to support their health and development. Frustrated by the deep communication and information silos within different disciplines that impeded the care, progress, and development of our most vulnerable children, Simran grew more passionate about creating multidisciplinary care models to better support children and their care communities. She was recruited at a grant-funded opportunity at UCSF to build a brand new children's communication center to support all hearing-impaired children in Northern California. Over three years, she singularly oversaw clinical operations, managed a 12-plus provider team, coordinated the comprehensive care for over 850 families, and secured the fiscal and operational longevity of the center. Her various contributions in driving forward meaningful research and in building partnerships across the state earned her an advisory board position at the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Knowing she would have a stronger voice in the medical community as a physician, she left UCSF and began her medical training at UC Davis with the goal of becoming a head and neck surgeon. Despite her tremendous experience and ambition to arm people with the right resources and support, she never expected that she would find herself on the other end of medicine as a patient herself. She was diagnosed with a life-threatening cancer during her training, exactly one month after she came up with the idea of Communikind and decided that she would perhaps leave medicine to start the company. Ironically, the learnings and insights from her patient experience over the last two years further crystallized and informed how she is building Communikind, the ultimate expression of fulfilling a critical mission that is near and dear to her heart. Hey, Femme Radio, we have an amazing guest for you today. Simran Kapoor is here, and we're going to just dive right in. She's an entrepreneur. She is a badass. She has an amazing resume. I mean, we're going we're gonna to knock through pretty much all of it, but let's just start by welcoming her to the show. Simran, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Melissa? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, we're just here. We're on opposite coasts right now, so it's it's oh. it's pretty cool. I mean, I can't wait to like actually meet in real life one day. Hopefully I soon. <laughs> Hopefully be soon. Hopefully be really soon. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What was your childhood like? Give our listeners a little bit of information into you. Sure. So, I was born in San Francisco, and um, around the age of five, my family decided that. They wanted me to get some culture and get to know my family, so we moved to Bombay in India, um, and I spent about six years there growing up. It was probably one of the most uh, transformational points in my life because that kind of set me down a long trajectory of um, thinking about health, especially for the pediatric population. Um, so, you know, I guess the, the biggest descriptor about me is the thing I'm most passionate about in life is to empower people in their health, particularly children. And so as a South Asian woman, I was like, okay, at some point I'm going to be a doctor and this path is going to take me there. So um, that's a little bit about myself. Uh, I live in San Francisco right now. Um, I recently started a healthcare um, company after leaving medical school. Um, and I am a proud dog mom of a beautiful golden doodle. <laughs> and that's a, that's, a, that's a quick summary. That's awesome. That's one, that's one thing we have in common. Did we ever did we discuss that, that we both have golden doodles? <laughs> and they look exactly the same or very alike. <laughs> Actually hilarious. It's <laughs> quite funny. But so that's, I mean, that's awesome. You like, I feel like it's, at least in, in my personal opinion from who I've experienced, it's so rare that you find people that end up actually leaving the U.S. to go back to what would be like the home country of their parents to mm-hmm. be raised and, and be immersed in that culture. Like, what were some of the things that you saw out there that really like pushed you into that healthcare industry? 
I think, you know, like growing up in the U.S., um, you know, we're really fortunate here because there is disparity that exists. But when you go to a country that's dubbed like a third world country, um, the disparities that exist are so vast that it's almost unimaginable. You know, like most of the country is living in dire poverty, something like you've never seen before. And so at the age of five, when I moved to India from the U.S., where, you know, I was going to Chuck E. Cheese and like life was really good as a five-year-old. And all of a sudden, you're thrust into a brand new world where the culture is so different. You know, just it's I, I describe India as like all of your senses come alive. You know, the sense of sight, the sense of space, because it's so crowded, the smells, mm-hmm. the heat, like all of it together um, and, and bustling sounds and all of that. And I think as a five year old going there and seeing that there were children my age or younger than me that, um, you know, didn't have anything. Um, they were living on the streets. They were begging for food and water every time we'd pass traffic lights. I think that was probably one of the things that had the biggest impact on me is, you know, in India, education is definitely something um, that's that's not universal, right? A lot of people don't get education and opportunity. And so we went to a private school, my sister and I, and we were driven in a chauffeured car to school every day, which is kind of the norm for the upper middle class. Mm-hmm. And as we would be driven to school, there would be children who were so malnourished, um, younger than me, sometimes without limbs, um, living in dire poverty. And I, I thought, you know, even at that young age, like, what did I do to not be in this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where it kind of stemmed for me is like, when you're born in this world, you have absolutely no control over the life you're going to be born into. And then from there, you have to change your destiny. And it's all the opportunities that are afforded to you. And for me, you know, it came down to the basic right of health and feeling good about yourself so that you can accomplish your true life's potential. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I feel like that's so jarring. And and the fact that you remember, you know, being that five-year-old kid, really understanding that, you know, I'm, I have something that these, these children do not. And give our listeners a little bit about like your college life. So where'd you go to college? What was your major? Because you had, you you sort of like um, shifted around a little bit, always within like that medical realm, right? Right. So um, I I knew I was going to be a doctor because um, I guess I wasn't really creative about my career path. I was like, oh, OK, like a lot of people I'd never seen you know, women in business, for example. I noticed that health. OK, you be a doctor. And so um, I said, well, I want to understand every single discipline that touches a child's life. Like I'd done my entire you know, coming back from India. I'd done um, a lot of work thinking about Um, opportunities that are afforded to people, you know, as we talked about. And so I, you know, when we came back, we actually didn't have a lot of income. So I was on the opposite end of things. But in the U.S., you know, even if you're disadvantaged, there are still opportunities that are available to you. And so it was really important to me to tap into those and to go to a great school because I knew that would afford me better opportunities. But along the way, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I, I touched people's lives in terms of education because that was definitely something that um, you know, you can transpire different sort of realms, uh, the more educated you are. That, 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 that's, that's just universal. I think we all know that. Yeah. Um, and so I went to Berkeley for my undergraduate, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to study. And because I wanted to understand all of the different realms that touch health, I realized that there's two parts to healthcare. You know, when we engage with the healthcare system, it's very reactive. We go to the hospital because we're sick or we're getting sick or there's something going on. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole prevention aspect that we don't necessarily think about, and that is public health. That's before you get sick, we want to make sure we educate the population to wash your hands, for example, um, or to do different things and do community outreach. So I was really intrigued by this concept, and I said, well, if I'm going to think about it in a strategic stepwise fashion, I want to understand the prevention before I understand the reaction. So that's why I decided to major um, in public health in Cal. And there were some really, you know, not surprising, but I guess motivating factors that then drove my next um, career, which was a special education teacher with, with Teach for America. And that's because in public health, one of the first things you learn is that other than your zip code, your education is actually the largest determinant of your health. And if you think about that, that actually makes a lot of sense, right? Because the more educated you are, 
the more opportunities you have. And then that also drives your knowledge to understand how to help your body, your access to health care, your access to live in a better zip code to get better care, to get better food and nutrition. Um, and so to me, I was like, okay, well, I want to understand how is the education side tackling this? And that's why I decided to, my first, uh, my first career out of college was uh, a special education teacher. I feel like you really did think so deeply into what you wanted to do and how you could affect positive change. I think that's just, it's incredible. I, I really appreciate that. You know, I, I would say probably teaching had a really big impact on me. Probably every career that I've done has had a big impact on me, but um, I don't know if you know much about Teach for America or if, the, or if the listeners know about that program, but essentially they take high achieving students from um, you know, good colleges and they put them into really impoverished communities to educate that population and try to, um, you know, create high achievers and try to also, it, it's a dual system in that the teachers are going to teach for two years in these communities to kind of um, give them more opportunities. But it's also so that students from these different institutions that are coming get an insight into what happens in these communities and how can you actually make a change. So even if they don't stay as teachers, that experience stays with them and you hope that they use that experience to impact change in every single discipline. So law, policy, medicine, you know, tech, you name it. Yeah, that's such a good point. I didn't actually think of it like that. That's a, a very, very good point. Um, so now you're the founder of Communikind. Can you tell us about how your journey shifted from originally wanting to be a doctor and then pursuing education to now being a founder? I mean, it's a ton of work has gone into this. You know, when did that really, you know, when did that really start? It happened, um, Melissa, I can't even tell you. It happened all of a sudden. I came up with the idea of Communikind in medical school. Um, and you know, as I'd mentioned to you, since I was like five, I knew I was going to be a doctor and I thought that I didn't know if that was going to be the end goal, but I knew I was going to be a physician and I was going to impact change as a medical professional, um, in the population. So never once did I consider entrepreneurship or business or anything like that. I didn't even know what a venture capital firm was. You know, my husband had to explain it to me several times and I was like, ah, I don't know what that means. Um, and so I, it's probably the last thing I thought I would, I would do but I was in school and we had this one lecture um, about, you know, it, was, it actually reminded me that very first lecture I had in college about zip code and education and resources. And the lecture in essence talked about when patients come to us, there's only so much we can do um, before, you know, they go back to their communities and we kind of throw our hands up in the air because like they're not empowered and there's only so much we can do because of our time and our resources and how many patients we have. And it really had a huge impact on me. You know, as I mentioned to you, I spent my whole career in every discipline that impacted health. So after I did teaching, I actually um, worked at UCSF because I wanted to get the medical aspect of things. So I built a center for UCSF. It's called the Children's Communication Center. And we service all children in Northern California who have deaf and hard of hearing problems and, and speech impediments. Yeah. And yeah. the goal of the center was to have these families come in and get a multidisciplinary approach for care, which is really critical and important, right? Because if you have something like deafness, for example, or hearing loss, a lot of different disciplines are impacted. Your speech could be impacted. Your social emotional development could be impacted. Um, so there's a social worker, the schools, you know, how you get resources in the schools is going to be different. You're going to be in a special ed classroom. And so it's really important that you have all of these disciplines come together, the audiologist, the ENT surgeon, the genetics doctor. And so my goal as, um, as the director of this clinic was to ensure that I hired all of these different disciplines the patient would come and see everyone. And then after they would leave, I would translate the plan that we all discussed to that patient and family and then help them find resources in the community. That job does not exist in healthcare. Very rarely does that exist because healthcare doesn't have, the, you know, it was a grant funded position that doesn't really happen. And so I took that knowledge to medicine and I said, well, it's really important that we empower people in their health. You know, so when I had this lecture that there's only so much we can do, I got super upset and super frustrated. And I said, okay, I've been in public health. I actually was a board member for the public health department. I've been in education. I've been, you know, a researcher. I've been a clinic coordinator. And now I'm going to be a doctor. And you're telling me that in all these different disciplines, there's nothing we can do. 
But the goal is to empower people in their health. So if we can't do it, then how is that going to happen? Mm-hmm. And um, I came home from my winter break, really upset, obviously, over this topic. And I was like, how do we bring all these disciplines together? How do we really achieve patient-centered care? Because this buzzword is talked about all the time. And what I realized is we don't sit at the center of our own information. So how in the world are we going to sit at the center of our own care and be empowered in our health, right? We don't even have a holistic picture of what our health looks like. We, we go, um, you know, our doctor and the healthcare system sits in between us and being well. It's almost like they're the gatekeepers, right? And that's not the intention. And so we have to change that system. And that's where the idea of Communikind was born. I said, well, what if we create a technology that brings together all of the different data points of health, all the different data points of care, because caring for yourself is a daily task. It's not just once every six months or a year, like your doctor's visit, right? So if we can create this system where all this information exists and is owned by you, and you can share it with the different people who care for you um, in your care village, then you have a lot more access to then get the right resources and inform your healthcare decisions and build community around you. And so that's how the idea of Communikind was born. Um, And I think I mentioned to you, like, I called my husband right after I came up with the idea, so excited. And I said, oh my God, I have to start this company. Like I'm quitting med school. And (laughs) he's like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like you've taken us all down this crazy path to be a surgeon and now you're quitting it all. I thought I was going to get free health insurance. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, I think I really need to do this. Like this is, this is a calling. I have all of the disciplines that impact health. And he was like, let's just please take a month to think about it. And, um, and I was like, okay, like, I don't want to give it all up. Like, he's like, please just get the MD, you know, we're Indians. So obviously those titles seem to matter to us <laughs> <our> families. <laughs> he's like, well, what would your mom say if you were quitting med school? And so, uh, I took a month and, um, I wanted to be a head and neck surgeon. So I was in a class that was teaching a head and neck exam. And I all of a sudden was just totally piqued my interest and I was paying attention And I did a head and neck exam on myself and compared myself to a partner and I felt something in my neck. And, you know, like I'd mentioned to you, I thought I had all all of the disciplines that impacted health, but I was wrong. I had been healthy my whole life and I had never been a patient and experienced that position before. And at that moment, um, things just changed because I got an appointment. I had to advocate for blood tests and I thought something was wrong and I was right. It turns out I had cancer and it was really serious. And so all of a sudden, my life switched from, you know, the doctor to the patient. Mm-hmm. And I got that one more and most important insight into the health experience. Um, and that really changed my world. You know, I, I know I know cancer is like one of those things people hear it. And obviously, it's very scary. And it was very scary for me and my family. Um, and I'm still going through it, but things are getting a lot better. But for me, it was a huge wake up call. And it allowed me the opportunity to leave medical school guilt-free because for me it was like a sign um it was that one missing piece and it kind of put a fire under my ass that you're doing the wrong thing but you're you've been on the right path and now it's time to go and really build the thing that sets your soul on fire Um, i'm grateful for cancer because it it let me uh, it let me do that guilt-free wow wow did you think sort of a side a sidebar question when you were sort of like going through the the motions of do I leave med school and pursue this full time was it those like family pressures and like that that real like that pressure to finish is that truly that's what kept you that's what made yeah. you stay yes. 100% <laughs> that's a wild. it was 100% it was those pressures but yeah. i think um i don't know if there were a lot of type a people in the crowd who are listening to this, but, um, if, if, you know, those titles, like that sort of thing was the culture that I had grown up on. Um, I have a very high accomplishing family, particularly a really, um, high accomplishing sister. And so for me, like goal setting was always critically important. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was getting into Berkeley and getting into like the top med school and getting scholarships and all of those sort of things. And so even though I really wanted to make a huge impact, there was a small part of me that thought you got into med school, which is really hard to do and a really good one. And you're going to give it up. And a lot of people, it's so funny. I gave my first talk, um, uh, a few months ago to a, a crowd of really, um, influential, uh, Indian population, South, South Asian population. And I gave, gave a talk. I told them I started Communicind, the whole story. 
And there's so many, I call them like aunties and uncles. We always call each other auntie, uncle. And they came up to me and said, so please tell me you're finishing med school. <laughs> med school. Uh, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to finish med school. I think that this is way more important and this is the way I can have an impact. And um, it was just really get, letting go of the fact that you don't need a title to um, tell you your worth and tell you your accomplishment. Um, and it, for me, it was also a process of self-love, actually, just last week, my dean called me and um, I told him that I wasn't coming back. They had told me when I got diagnosed, obviously it was a serious diagnosis and I've still been going through treatment this year. And so we kind of had me on um, on leave for this whole time on medical leave. And he asked me like if I thought about a decision. And I think I know so truly in my heart that Communikind means so much to me. It's the way I'm, I know I'm gonna make my impact. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have a loving community in my medical school and, and all of the, all of the friends I've made, the mentors I've had, but I thought it was for me. I really did hundred percent. Um, I would, if I didn't have the idea of Communikind, I'd probably still be down that path because I'm not a quitter, but I'm really happy with the way things transpired because, um, I don't need it. I don't need an MD to make an impact. Yeah, absolutely not. Especially when you're doing so much right now. I mean, when did you launch Communikind? We launched, uh, we're, so we just launched our beta uh, less than a month ago, awesome. um, which is really exciting. We have hundreds of users who we're, we're trying to keep it small because there's so much to learn and grow and, and direct the product. But I mean, the, the validation we've got is kind of tremendous. Um, so I'm really, really motivated and excited by that. You know, I started this year um, just me and an idea. And we have four full-time people wow. working without a salary because this mission means so much. Wow. We have a badass board of advisors um, and we have a live HIPAA compliant web and iOS mobile product. Like it's nuts what can happen in a year. Yeah, I'd say, geez. How, so, so just from, you know, even at just a smaller scale, like the name of the company, Communikind, how did you, how'd you come up with that? So I, every, every part of this, of this company is like a labor of love. I'm really <laughs> glad you asked that question. So Communi Kind, um, kind of split it up. Communi is creating a community of care through effective communication. Wow. It's really important that we do that for each of our patients, right? Like each of us needs a community and a village to support us. And we need to have effective communication between all the different disciplines and caregivers in a person's life. So that's truly patient-centered, right? Mm -hmm. And then the kind, I had originally started off this idea, and we still are, our wedge into the market is children and pets, but kind is the German word for um, kinder. Uh, kinder is the German word for child. Mm -hmm. And it's also that every single person is unique. They're one of a kind. And now it's a every one of a kind individual, whether you're an adult, a child, or a pet, because Communikind is for the whole family. So it has a lot of significance to me and um, really love the name. I, yeah, I love that. I love when things connect and when it's meaningful and it makes sense towards like the greater goal and what you're looking to build. Yep. Like, I love Absolutely. that. So I want to sort of dive into the actual building of the company itself, because I always have a lot of listeners who really want advice on, you know, okay, you have this great idea. Like, where do you even start? Like, mm -hmm. what, you know, what was step one for you? Step one for me. Um, so last year when I had my diagnosis, I obviously needed to go through a ton of treatment and everything. But for me, I had never really been a chronic illness patient. And this is obviously something really serious. So it was a big learning experience. I think, you know, before I would set down the path of doing a business, I think you need to really have a good hold of who you are as an individual. I kind of thought I did, but cancer taught me to love myself. And I would say first and foremost, you need to have unwavering faith and self-confidence and love for yourself before you sit down and do these things, because it's really hard to start a company, right? Especially yeah. when you're all alone, if you don't have a team and you don't have any money and you don't have any background in it, mm -hmm. um, it can be really overwhelming. And so the first thing I would say is get to know what really drives you and find something that just sets your soul on fire that you could see yourself doing your whole life. Because if it's your calling, um, and I, I don't want to be trite, but you know, when people say like, when you do something that doesn't feel like work, like that's the ultimate, Yeah. I, 
and, and I'm sure like I can tell you feel this way about, um, you know, doing these interviews, but for me, like Communikind was that. And the moment I had the idea, I mean, I had never wavered for medicine and I was like, I got to do this. Like I got to do this. And I called my mom, I called my husband, like it was like, I'm going and this is happening. And I came up with the name that day. I registered the domain name. I was just like, this is my mission and nothing is going to get in my way. And so the path is obviously really hard, but the first step, I think about things systematically, but if you don't have a background in business like me, um, <laughs> I decided to do a lot of coursework and talk to like literally hundreds of people and asking everyone to connect me with more people. Mm -hmm. So in terms of knowledge, um, I did a lot of online learning and reading, but then I also enrolled and applied to different courses. So I applied to like Y Combinator Startup School. I applied to Berkeley's entrepreneurship program and, and did both of, went through both of those programs. Um, and then just literally got connected to every single person who was either in venture capital, which I learned what that was last year. And, and now I'm deep in the lingo and everyone's like, wow, what a transformation. But um, yeah, so, so that's how I'd go about it is if you don't have any background, get to understand the, the, the layout really well so you can speak intelligently because you want to know what you're talking about. It's one thing to be really passionate about idea and that will drive you. But then if you're doing a business, for example, you should be a little bit business smart and understand um, the, the lay of the land to, yeah. to get into it. Absolutely. So would you say the things that you learned during those like entrepreneurship courses, like did you learn about the venture capital in that, like in how to pitch and things like that? Like what were some of the valuable things you learned from those courses? So I didn't necessarily learn those things. I learned the basics of like, what's a cap table and like, how should you think about um, hi like hiring and all of the things to kind of start a business, mm -hmm. which can be really overwhelming if you don't know the legal aspects of everything. Do you do a C corp, an S corp, and and if you're starting a company and you want to go go public, do a C corp um, and do it from Delaware. So like all these little little things <laughs> that you learn. Um, and so for me, I think the conversations with other founders um, was really powerful because I learned a lot about storytelling and how to tell your story and um, what resonates with people. And um, I also ended up speaking with, and I wish I'd done this earlier on. Um, I didn't speak to a lot of female founders until this year. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad I've, I've cultivated those friendships because, you know, I'd read the stats, but it's so true. Like 2% of females get VC funding Two, yeah, 2%. That's, insane. that's crazy. And insane. the amount of, and I can see it too. You know, I, I raised capital this year, but um, I know people in my position who raised millions of dollars before they even started a company. Like mm -hmm. I talked to one of our competitors, um, future competitors, not current competitor. And, um, you know, he told me that, oh, well, we got like a two or three million dollar check um, before we started the company. So we really didn't have to go through any of this sort of stuff that you're going through. Um, and so that is very real and it can take a toll on you. So get your networks and your village to support you because it is a tough ride, but you will get through it if you're motivated and you um, just keep asking for help and be, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable because this is something that is very hard, especially for women. Yeah. yeah. So you know what? I forget what the stat is too. So you mentioned that it's like 2% and, but like, what's funny is the statistic of like actual success rates are yeah. high. It's higher for women. So like, oh my the women-owned businesses succeed more, but yet they still get less funding. It makes no sense. <laughs> I know. It's it's actually crazy. And so I think the smart people are the ones. I think they said it's like a trillion-dollar um, opportunity to invest in women because they raise a lot less, they do a lot more, and they're sustainable a lot longer if they have access to capital networks and you know, um, yeah. resources. Absolutely. So, so as far as like funding goes, was that sort of like the general thing that kicked you off or did you get do like a friends and family round um, in order to like start building like the prototypes or the initial versions of it? So for anyone who's in tech, particularly in like health tech or anything that's really tech heavy, um, I, I didn't have any technical background, right? Like I'm not an engineer or coder or anything like that. And everyone told me that if you don't have a CTO, you're not going to get money. And so that was probably the hardest, hardest thing is I live in, I live in Silicon Valley, right? Yeah. So 
I to get an engineer here is like getting a unicorn, um, especially especially one who wants to work with you with no salary yeah. and like you know no product, and they're just really taking a huge risk. And they could be going to Google or Amazon or Facebook and get quarter million dollars easy, right? And so that's what I was up against when I started. And I had done so much research. I've been in this industry so long. You know, I knew the product was needed as a patient, as a doctor, as a clinic coordinator, as a teacher. Like the validation was there. I knew what needed to be built, especially the foundational pieces. So I just said, screw it. I'm going to find a good engineering team. I'm going to have to raise some money. Um, I'll start out with some friends and family, um, which was very difficult to do because it's it's scary asking people for money. You know, you, it's a huge um you're telling people to take a risk on you, even if you really believe in yourself. But then there's that pressure of people who know you, who believe in you, and you have to perform, right? Yeah. So what I did was I took about a hundred thousand from friends and family. I put in um, all of my, all of my own savings, which they say never do that, but hey, <laughs> I really believe in myself, so I just did it, and um, I started kicking off the product development because for me it was like almost like a hamster wheel. I was like, okay, if I not a hamster wheel, I guess because we're moving forward with momentum, but um, if I could get the you know continue to start building out the product, then I could kind of get a little bit more of people seeing the vision, and then I can attract talent, and so and then I can attract more money, and it's a constant like pedaling, right? Yeah. So that's the strategy that I picked. There were some very hard times in this strategy, but I've always just made it under the wire. <laughs> um, so things have been going really well, um, I would say, with the position that we are in ending this year. But it wasn't that way the whole year. There was definitely highs and lows with the whole fundraising process. What everyone says is true. Fundraising sucks. <laughs> <laughs> So you're on now, you're, it's iOS, so you're on Apple, like in the Apple store in beta, and then you also have like the web portion as well of Communicind? Yep. Okay. So, so um, Communicind's goal is to empower people in their health, and the way we're starting is by giving people access to or a place to put all of their health and care information. Okay. And so we haven't done um, an EHR integration yet because we're having people to start thinking about their care needs as well. And we're starting with children and pets because what we're doing is very difficult. We're having people change their behaviors, right? Be more yeah. proactive about their health, be a better care advocates. But that really starts at birth. And we'll do things for our children and our pets, particularly our young ones, mm -hmm. before we'll do things for ourselves. And in that age range of zero to five, not just as a child really developing, but there's a lot of people who are involved in their care who need to be on the same page. And co-parenting, especially in the millennial and Gen X population, which is our target audience right now, co-parenting needs are very strong. You know, 50% of the population in, in, in millennials are dual income. So both mom and dad are going to the workplace yeah. and they have maybe a nanny or grandparents or someone taking care of their child and they need to split responsibilities between the two of them. Mm -hmm. I know that this is not a surprising stat, but 90% of women make 100% of the healthcare decisions for the whole family. Wow. They're the chief medical officers of the home. So we're essentially keeping the population healthy. But if we're also working and taking care of ourselves and making sure everybody's okay, that's a huge emotional burden. Yeah. And so where we're starting is helping parents have more equitable access to information so they can share the caregiving burden. And then every single caregiver has the information they need, whether it's the emergency context and disaster plan, or it's, this is my child's rules on screen time and behavior, and this is their family history, and these are the meds they take. All of that exists in one place and is controlled by you so you can decide who gets what permission and when. Wow, that's awesome. So even like, let's say, for example, you have you know, a, a babysitter taking care of your kids, they can have access to whatever you're allowing them essentially to have access to. Exactly. So food allergies and things like that. That's huge. Exactly. So there's, there's four different parts to the profile right now. So I'll call it like, um, you'll have a, a adult profile, which we haven't launched. So if you do download the app, you'll see coming soon on everything on the adult profile. But if you have kids or pets, we've built out a lot of that already. Wow. So if you create a child profile or a pet profile, so you can create one for your little baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I use mine for Gabby. And um, on there, there's the profile information, which has things like the basic stuff of their, you know, the breed and like um, 
their allergies and that sort of stuff in important health history. You have the emergency context, the approved care facilities, because especially for kids, um, if you have a certain type of insurance and there's an emergency that comes up, Mm -hmm. most times you can only go to certain hospitals. Otherwise you get stuck with a large bill. So it's really important for like a nanny or a grandparent or someone to know all of that information. Then there's a place to store your insurance and medical record number. So when you're on the call with Kaiser or whoever, and you have to give your, your medical record number and all that information, it's all there as well. Then there's the doc box where you can store all of your documents and you can build that record on the go. So your after visit summaries or you take a picture of that rash, it can all live in the doc box. And all of this, by the way, is HIPAA compliant and completely tri- private. Wow. Um, and then there is the tracker, which is more um, for the day-to-day use. There's a care calendar where you can share care responsibilities. There's the symptom tracker for children already that's launched. And then we're launching a lot of different other features over the next few months, including the ability to take notes, the ability to track meds and assign that to your nanny or different caregivers. Um, and then, of course, there is the permissions where you add your co-parent or you add another caregiver and you can decide access to the other caregivers um, at any point. This is great. I mean, I feel like this is just essentially putting, especially the the current release with, you know, the with children and pets, it's just putting parents at ease, like being able to actually put their information in and understand that, like, the information is actually being provided to whoever it needs to be provided to. Exactly. And it's a really important thing that, you know, I'm already using with my pet, but as a future mom as well, like, you know, my parents are so involved in the care of my, my puppy right now. I can only imagine how they, how involved they'll be um, as grandparents. Mm-hmm. But, you know, seeing all of my friends, you know, we're known as kind of like the helicopter parent generation, which I don't necessarily like those words. I kind of like to think that we're the most involved generation yeah. and dads are the most involved that they've ever been. You know, 40 percent mm-hmm. of dads have stayed at home. Wow. Um, at some point during their child's life, uh, millennial dads, by the way. That's huge. And so it, it's huge, right? And so like we're, we are shaping this equitable access to parenting. And one of the things that I hate that I've seen is anything that's even kind of close to communicating, which there hasn't been anything that is looking at health and care the way we are. There are a lot of mommy apps out there mm-hmm. and they're all for moms and tracking breastfeeding. And it's all baby related is what I've seen. And I think that's a really missed opportunity because- um, it shouldn't all fall on the mother, right? Like we're, we're then shaping culture and thinking that the mom takes care of the child just because she gives birth to the child. And, um, I, I think that's something that I think is really important that we, we call out is that, you know, yes, we know that moms is currently the chief medical officer of the home, but we're hoping that their role doesn't need to be so intense anymore. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I think it's, you, you nailed it in that. And that I feel like a lot of, even in just my own family, like my mother definitely takes on that role as the chief medical officer for sure. But, you know, she fell into that role. You know, it's so funny. I was actually talking to this couple yesterday um, and they um, are, are just a really phenomenal couple in terms of like co-parenting. And, and the mom was telling me that, you know, part of it too is like, they love communicating and they're going to be investing in the company. But she said, Part of it is if they don't have access to the information, like my husband doesn't know, he's never called the doctor for our child before. He doesn't know the doctor's number and name. How can you expect them if you're always the one making the appointment all of a sudden to do that? And so it's kind of this coaching and training, which is what Communicant is all about is we're going to be including, you know, a digital care coach to kind of geotag your locations. Like, hey, you're near a hospital. Do you want to input an appointment? Do you want to take notes for for that? And so we're kind of like your digital assistant um, that helps you make those decisions and form those habits along the way. I love that. I think that's super, super necessary. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm very excited. I'm excited just to be speaking with you. I mean, I think the like – the future of Communikind is endless. So I, you know, I'd love to hear from you. I know you mentioned a few of the things that you're like going to be releasing soon, but what are your goals for the company and what are your goals for, you know, just the future, even just the next year or so? So we have really big ambitions. Um, so I just recently um, recruited my my technical co-founder. So we're really excited to have him on board. He comes with a lot of passion um, about healthcare as well and great technical experience from working at healthcare startups on Google previously. And so and he's also a dad of two. Um, and so we have really big dreams and visions for Communikind. Um, you know, when I started off this journey, I said that the healthcare system you know, everyone says it's broken, but there are root issues that no one's focusing on. Mm -hmm. Number one is that the information 
um, it's, it's, the architecture is built around payers and providers. That's why they own all the information, right? So that's why the first step that we're starting with is giving people access to their own information so that they can live in a different country. They can change healthcare providers or insurance or in an emergency. They have it all, right? So we give that flexibility. And then they can decide you know, their, what their care village does. So that's the immediate goal that we're focused on in the next year. But beyond that, my goal is to really empower people in their health. And there are two more parts of that greater vision. The second part is giving people the right tools and education to make informed decisions about their health. Now, let me give you an example of this. When I was um, in healthcare, very rarely did my patients, especially the ones who spoke English and were educated, very rarely did those patients come into clinic and like had not already looked up stuff on WebMD or Dr. Google, right? We have access to the internet now. So it's not like the olden days where doctors were considered God because they knew things about the human body that nobody else knew. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen anymore, right? We have access to information at our fingertips. The problem is what information? Is it credible? Is it not credible? And so the goal is to then empower people with the right tools and information. One of the things that I hate about um, how we talk about healthcare, particularly on the, on the medical side of things, is assuming that patients aren't necessarily smart enough to make informed decisions about their own health. And I think, again, that is a huge missed opportunity because if you assume that someone's not smart enough, why are you making decisions for them? Why aren't you instead giving them the tools to learn yeah. and make informed decisions about their own health, you know? Um, so, so, so that's really where the second piece comes in. And then the third vision or the third part of the vision for Communikind is you can have your information, you can have access to the right resources to inform care decisions. But if you don't have a supportive community and you feel isolated and like you're the only one, that is not going to help you unlock your life's potential. That's not going to empower you in your health and to feel good about yourself. Community is very important. You know, when I was teaching, oftentimes my children who had traumatic brain injury or autism or intellectual disability were the only ones in their whole school who had that problem. They were oftentimes the only one they knew who had that problem. That's incredibly isolating. Yeah, and I never yeah. thought I would experience that myself. But when I was diagnosed with cancer, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit. I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And 90% of thyroid cancer patients live on with completely healthy. They're totally cured after a surgery. I am not in that 90%. When I was diagnosed with cancer, and again, I mentioned to you, I fought for my diagnosis because I'd gone to a doctor maybe a month before and my lymph nodes were huge and everything was missed. When my surgeon opened me up, he told me he's never seen that, that, that much cancer in six years of doing the surgery. And he's one of the best head and neck um, surgeons in the country. Oh my goodness. So that was shocking to me that nobody picked up the symptoms except for me. I had to advocate for my own needs. I had to push my way through the system and, and get the care. I, I mean, I even advocated for the CT scan, for example, which they told me, oh, you know, I went to like several different doctors and they said, oh, well, you know, with an ultrasound, you could just do the ultrasound of the neck and it's probably fine. And I said, well, what if it's spread? Like, I want to get a CT because I was in medical school. So I was like, I want everything. <laughs> and um, I'm glad I did because it had spread. And if we, they had found it in surgery, that would have opened me up to multiple surgeries and more pain. And um, after I was done with it all, I felt really alone because I didn't know any other patient. You know, there are people who would say, oh, my friend had thyroid cancer. Um, and then they would see my scar, which, you know, it's literally, it's a, it's a huge one. It goes from behind my neck all the way through the center um, edge of, of my neck. So it's a pretty big scar. And, you know, they would say, oh, I got like one lymph node removed. And I'd say, oh, that's great because I got 150 removed. And <laughs> so it's, it's, um, it was very isolating for me. And I wish that I had community. But luckily, I found community in my family. Um, that they didn't make me feel alone, but sometimes I still did. And so it is cr incredibly important that we then have that third piece that brings people together. And that part of Communikind might not be completely digital because I believe that we need to connect as human beings and oftentimes that is in person. So that part of Communikind will be um, in building community. And we're starting at a very small scale um, next year where we're doing numbers of panels 
um, to educate the population on pediatric related health and wellness um, issues. Wow. I, I mean, I love that. I, you're, it's just, it's wild to me. I just actually had this conversation with some family members over Thanksgiving break, but it's always weird to me. Like when you can go to a doctor and you, you know that, or you feel like something is wrong, you feel like something is not right. And then they hesitate to do like the extra testing or like they hesitate to like follow through on something. And it's like, why are you hesitating? Like I have insurance, like, let's go do it all. Like, why are we, why are we here? But like, you know, me going in, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, it's just crazy that we don't have the information. Yeah. We don't know all of that. So can I, can I tell you a secret? <laughs> Doctors are not God. Mm. We are investigators. That is literally <laughs> our job. We're detectives. So this is, this is how we diagnose you. You come in, we, we do all these different things on you. So, so you tell me, where does it hurt? You tell me your family history. You are the greatest resource for me as a physician, and a lot of physicians, um, you know, I wouldn't say all of them because everyone goes into being, or I would say most people go into medicine because they want to help people, right? But the system does make it really hard for doctors with the way it's built where we have 10 minutes in an appointment and how do you get through it all, right? Mm -hmm. We've been pushing paperwork and all kinds of stuff, which is why I say you are your best health advocate because nobody knows your body and your life and what you're going through and the stressors of your life, what you're eating, the exercise you're doing. Nobody knows that information like you. So you've got to trust yourself. And the way doctors make a diagnosis is we do something called a differential. So you tell us all this information that you only, you know, right. And then labs and stuff can help us guide us on that thing. But we are then writing down everything it can possibly be which in 10 minutes, you know, you try to get really good at it, but it's probably you're not writing everything down, which is why people will say, oh, you probably have clays, you probably have this, because they're not doing a thorough differential. And then with the different lab results and different things you tell us about your symptoms and things that are going on, we're crossing things off. And that's how a diagnosis is made. Um, And so so pathology, of course, is like part of that too. Then that's more definitive when you can actually do scans and you can do things like that. But it does open up risks and stuff, too, with how much radiation you're getting. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I really, because I was going to be a doctor, um, I know that you go in with such dreamy eyes of the big impact you can have. Um, but a lot of physicians do get jaded along the way, and it does get hard. Um, and so that's why I will, that's why I'm building Communikind, right, is, like, you are your best care advocate. If you want to unlock your life's full potential, like, it shouldn't be on your doctor to take care of you. I can tell you, um, Melissa, like the number of people when I started off the company, when I was trying to explain the concept, they'd say, oh, so how does my doctor put in different information for me? And it was always focused on the doctor doing things for you rather than you doing things for yourself. And this was a big aha moment for me that we're so reliant on the healthcare system as gatekeepers for our own health. And the truth of this is the hardest thing I'm doing is showing people that they're, they must and are worthy of taking care of themselves and putting themselves first. And part of that is concentrating on your health before you get sick. Yeah. And there's such a huge need for this. I just across the board, you know, I am super excited to just become a little bit more educated in how I can advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited that you bring you know that we've speaking and that you've created this and that you're building upon it. And I'm interested to know, like, what are some of the things that you've learned while building this app and building this platform uh, that you wish you had known sooner? Um, you know, some, maybe some advice for, for our listeners. So I, I would say the biggest thing is, you know, being organized. Um, when, when I was diagnosed at 28, um, I mean, I was a full-fledged adult, you would say, but I called my mom and I was like, where are all my records? (laughs) I was like, I don't know where anything is. And obviously when you've been healthy your whole life and you get something like cancer, it's like, shit, now what? Um, and then like, Oh my God, do I need to get a second opinion? Who are the best doctors? And it's like, it's a frantic phase. Um, and a lot of people experience that. I don't know if you know the stats, but 60% of adults in this country have a chronic illness, six zero. One in four children has a special healthcare need. That is a majority of the population, right? Staggering. Like that's a, that's a lot of people. We're more sick than we are healthy. So it is a sick care system. Wow. And so that's why we're starting at birth because I know it's hard for adults to kind of organize unless you're like type A and, and you somehow can like block off time in your calendar, which I would really 
hope that people do that is getting all of your your records and healthcare pieces in order. And don't just think about it as what lives in the medical record. Think about it as the symptoms that you're experiencing, the pictures you've taken of your rashes and things like that, um, that you will be able to put into a platform like Communikind to, to grow that and then have all the information you need on hand. Yeah. Um, and then of course, sharing that with people who um, care for you. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. So I do have some basic questions that I always ask our guests. So the first is who to you embodies the word femme? So femme just, you know, meaning that all around trailblazing person, female or male, um, that really is advocating for women and paving that way. This is a hard one because I would say there are so many people that inspire me. Um, who embodies the word femme. And I would say a lot of them on this journey has been like female entrepreneurs who I admire, um, who are just, just going out there and being their best self. I would say people who embody the word femme are people who are self-loving and just going for their passions without, um, without listening to the haters and without listening to the negativity and just going out and living your dream. And so I would say it's probably a lot of the people listening to this podcast would probably be people who are embodied the word femme. A lot of us. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. So where can our listeners follow you and the Communicind journey on social media? So you can follow me. I'm, I'm more active on, well, I'm only active, I guess, on Instagram right now. I'm trying to trying to get myself to get on Twitter, but you can follow me at Simran Kapoor and you spell my name C-I-M-E-R-A-N-K-A-P-U-R. Um, or you can also follow us at Communikind, which is C-O-M-M-U-N-I-K-I-N-D um, on Instagram. Awesome. Any last pieces of advice for our listeners? Any cool tidbits, nuggets of wisdom? The last piece of advice for our listeners would probably be that... You are worthy of love, especially from yourself. Um, and that was, makes me emotional, but that was the biggest lesson I learned from getting cancer is I think I was so self-critical for so many years. I kept telling myself I can do better. I can work harder. I need to achieve X, Y, Z. And that would define me. And, um, especially going down the path of medicine, I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll defer happiness for the future. I'll defer fun for the future. And don't be like that. Because the present moment is the only moment we truly have. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And I know that this is stuff that people say all the time, but it's so true. And so don't defer your happiness um, and don't defer what brings you joy because life is about feeling fulfilled and feeling happy and feeling good about yourself. Um, and don't let anyone dictate that. You should dictate that for yourself. Do you know any trailblazing females that you think we should be featuring? send us an email at femt at gmail.com. That's F-E-M-M-E-T-E-E -E at gmail.com. As always, thank you for your support as we strive to promote the growth of diverse women in all industries. Hashtag get femmed.